Please be seated, and as you're seated, turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles available on the back wall. Um, and just really encourage you to follow along, make notes, and uh, you know, highlighting things which are especially helpful for you. I mentioned at the uh, beginning, uh, or the, during the first service, just that there's certain passages that, that you really look forward to preaching, but you also get nervous about preaching because, you know, there are the times where in your own Christian life, just, uh, you know, what you saw in it was just mind-blowing. And, and, you know, this is one of those chapters, and just the, the way that it's shapes our understanding of God's love, the way it shapes our understanding of God's grace. And I said that first service, and, I'm, and I did it, and I'd be more excited to do it again. So, so it, my enthusiasm is only warmed up over this, over this last hour. So again, if you don't have a Bible, please pick one up um, at the back and follow along together with us. So this is Genesis <clears throat> chapter 22. Listen to the word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. 
Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kimuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazel, Pildash, Jilpah, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ramuah, bore Teba, Gehem, Tasha, and Makah. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Fathers, we come to your text. Amaze us by your grace. Amaze us by your love. And Father, out of that amazement, out of that awareness, Father, would you lead us, Father, toward life? Would you lead us in our life and our decisions? Father, I do pray your text would help us to know you and to love you. Father, as the one who's loved us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we know that we need to make sacrifices in this life. Uh, You know, we have to make sacrifices to set aside uh, things of less importance in order to see things that are more important take place. Uh, We sacrifice things for our family. We sacrifice things for the people we love. Uh, We need to set aside and sacrifice problematic things parts of our lives, just getting rid of them so we can move forward in the ways that are, that are good. But not all sacrifices end up doing what they think they will. And sometimes we can think a sacrifice will help us accomplish something when in the end it won't. And it, it is surprising at times the sacrifices that people are willing to make just to get what they want. A lot of that time that develops over time with a hundred small decisions, but sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it happens with a sudden decision. We hear stories of people willing to sacrifice their families, to sacrifice their integrity, to sacrifice the Lord to be done with him and and worship in order just to get what they want. How far are we willing to go to get what what we want? You know, over the last couple of weeks, I heard a story, you probably did too, of a couple who showed up at an airport and they really wanted to go to Europe. And they bought tickets to go to Europe for the man and his wife, but they didn't buy a ticket for their child who was with them. And they asked the ticket counter, can we buy a ticket for our baby? They said, no, the plane is full. We can't have a ticket for the baby. You can't go. And so they wanted to go to Europe, so they left their baby there at the counter and headed and went on that plane. Is a trip to Europe really worth that time? Um, yeah, as you know, it's a Super Bowl week, right? Uh, and so many people will sacrifice a lot to get to that big game, to get in the professional football, to, to get to that top game. And many would sacrifice a lot for that. We also know people have sacrificed a lot not to arrive at the big game. Sacrifices are, are made. It's also Valentine's Day week. You're welcome if you forgot it's a reminder to us that people make all kinds of sacrifices uh, for romantic love. I, I read of a man who loved um, a, a woman um, who was blind, and so he learned Braille, just building a relationship with her. I read of a um, couple, two high school sweethearts. Uh, they ended up separating from one another. Um, you know, just lives grew apart as life when they ended up marrying um, different people, and they were married for some 50 years. And after 50 years, both their spouses died, and they were widowed and reconnected. And this man driving 500 miles, only stopping to pick up flowers, 
to go and to meet um, this woman who they ended up marrying. But, you know, we also know the sacrifices that people make in order to get it. Have you ever seen The Bachelor, right? People going on television, even something like that. Just a one shot, something might work out. I've never seen it, by the way, but I've heard about it. So in our passage, though, God demands an unthinkable sacrifice from Abraham. He commands, calls Abraham to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. Now we've read the whole story, so we know how it ends. Abraham does not offer his son as a sacrifice. God stops him. And that's what I want to think about today as we look at the passage, because that's where the story is. There's a point to it never happening. When God brought Abraham to the brink of sacrificing his own son, we see how far we may be willing to go in our obedience and our zeal, but we also see that God will never require certain kinds of sacrifice from us. If you look back at verse 1 and 2, you see the sacrifice God demanded of Abraham. Verse 1, those things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. So here's something that comes out of the blue. You can only imagine the amount of horror that... Uh, Abraham would have felt, and God's own words indicate the amount of horror he must have felt. Take your son, he says, your only son, the, the son that you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. How could Abraham sacrifice his son, his only son, on an altar? Besides the apparent uh, wrongness of it. Uh, he was 100 years old when, Abraham, when Isaac was born. Sarah's not going to have any more children. He waited so long and he loved this child. How could he give up this one that he loves so much? And Isaac, he was the, the child of promise. He was the one who God would fulfill his promises through. How would God fulfill his promises to Abraham and to his descendants? How would God do that if Isaac was gone? And God only toyed with Abraham in making those promises and now just to take them away. So what's happening here? Verse 1 tells us, after these things God tested Abraham. The New Testament also describes it as a test. You can look at Hebrews eleven seventeen, where it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now we know today, we have the whole story, that Abraham did not offer up his son as a sacrifice. God did not call him or require him to follow through. God's intention was never to have Abraham actually carry through with the sacrifice. It was a test. Would Abraham obey? Was Abraham's heart devoted to him? But Abraham didn't know the end of the story. Would he trust God? Abraham knew God's character. He'd been walking with God for decades now. He'd seen God's faithfulness to him, and he knew he wouldn't lose Isaac. He trusted God's promise. We're going to see that through the text, but we especially see it in Hebrews eleven nineteen, 19, 
which is I think probably the very last slide in it where it has Hebrews 11.19, if you have the slides. But Hebrews 11.19 adds this, that he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham knew something, but Abraham trusted. So in the end, this account proves two things, that Abraham would do anything in his love and obedience to God. He passed the test. It also shows us that our relationship with God is not dependent on our sacrifices but on the one that God has made. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Our our first point is just to look at Abraham. We look at Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice everything in order to know God. So let's look through the text uh, briefly as our first point. We see in verse 3, Abraham takes no time to obey. Abraham rose early the next morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him. He brought his son Isaac. He then prepared ahead, cutting the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place in which God had told him. He may have had a heavy heart, but he's moving to obey God. And he brings everything he needs to, to, to do it. How many of us are ready to obey God's commands, even if the ones that we have are far less demanding than Abraham's were? Are we ready to obey God's commands? He was ready. Verses 4 and 5 give us a hint that Abraham knew from the beginning that he could trust God. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and then look at this, and come again to you. Did Abraham know what he was saying when he says we'll come back? You know, I don't know what he was meaning or saying, but there's something prophetic that's in it because they are going to come back. Verse 6, we see Isaac carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed on. It's, you know, a real picture of even our Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus carrying the cross towards his place of death. You see Abraham carrying that knife. Can you imagine a heavier or more cold object as he is bringing it up the mountain to the place of sacrifice? And you see at the end of verse 6, so they went both of them together. You know, throughout this whole account, if you just take time to read it, you see um, it just, it's slow. The text is slow. And it's slow because it's drawing a picture of intimacy and of love. Somebody said to me on the way out, you know, this is the first time that the Bible uses the word love. Now, I don't know if that's right, but in describing this love between a father and his son, you know, so there's something deeply intimate, and you see them together. There's a father-son time, but it, this one has such grave implications. And if you look at verse 7, Isaac is figuring things out. Verse 7, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Right? You see, this, that closeness that's there, he's not counting him out yet. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You know, again, we're reminded of Abraham's words of trust and the words of trust that he uh, pours into Isaac. To, to my understanding, Isaac's probably about 13 years old at this point. He's, uh, he's 
you know, a uh, very young man, um, you know, and, and he's trusting his father in this. Abraham's modeling that trust in his own trust of God. He believes that God is going to provide. And so here you see Abraham taking these initial steps, and, and that's something we need to think about for our own life. You know, not only do, you see, only do we see immediate obedience, but we also see him, you know, those, those first difficult steps of obedience. You know, we don't always know how things will turn out when God command, as we look at God's commands, as we think about obeying them, as we think about doing what is actually written in it. We're still called to obey them, to take those first steps and to trust him that in obedience that there is his pleasure and that he will provide. Whether it's in breaking off an immoral relationship, we know it's bad, so we got to take those first steps or taking steps towards marriage maybe, having a child, sharing your faith, honoring the Sabbath, tithing, forgiving someone, caring for a suffering loved one. Asking for forgiveness, giving up a distraction, going on a mission trip, or professing your faith before the church um, to join that church. I mean, you know, we, we don't know how obedience is going to turn out. In the, you know, we don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. But we can know the pleasures of God in it. We can know his blessing in it. Things that come through obedience, even though we might be scared in those first steps. Those are the hard ones. Those are the ones we have to get that inertia in order to do. We see Abraham taking those. God works those things out for good for those who love him. Now, Abraham, we see in verse 9, he obeys all the way to the end. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on an altar on top of the wood. You know, it's just so orderly. almost seems so mechanical. You can just picture it in your mind as he, as he gets this ready. In verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And that's when God interrupts. You know, that's when he speaks the words that Abraham probably wanted to hear. But Ab- the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. You can imagine a faster word to say, a faster response would provide. And we see that in verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. I just, those are probably my favorite words there, right? Instead of his son. Instead of Isaac dying there on that altar, the ram took, its plate, took his place. Instead of Abraham bearing the weight of the loss of his son, this ram took away all of the dread of that event. You can just imagine the relief that's there. He knew that the Lord would provide. Look at verse 14. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Right? In Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, we, we talk about God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It's one of those great names of God that we rest and rely on. God will, the Lord will provide in our times of need. As is said to this day on this mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I mean, he knew that God would provide. We saw that as they went there, but now we experience it. 
There's something of the taste, the taste of seeing God's provision at just the right moment um, to rescue from you know, the deepest and darkest time. Jehovah Jireh, God provided. What joy he must have had in his heart. And he sees these things because he took those first steps of obedience. Remember those first difficult steps that we have in obedience? Well, now he sees the fruit of it. Would never have seen the provision of God unless he had taken those first steps. In the same way, we won't see the provision of God unless we take those first steps in obedience and in trust to God. Who would have known after decades of obedience to Christ the joys that many of God's people have seen in worship, in tithing, evening services. I mean, just the blessing it is as it feeds their souls. And for Abraham, this leads to a deeper experience of of God's grace. I mean, look at how God renews his promises with him in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. Again, God comes and he speaks, he visits him. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. A reiteration of the covenant, reiteration of the promise that God has made with him, it continues to be renewed um, outwardly, but also inwardly in Abraham's own heart. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Abraham loved God. Abraham wanted to know God. Abraham wanted to know God's blessing, and he was willing to do whatever God told him in order to do it. What a glorious example. What a wonderful example that's before us. He he passes the test. And yet, we mentioned, hinted at, there's something important that God doesn't want the sacrifice. Abraham's, he wants Abraham's heart. He doesn't want that sacrifice that he brought with him. So that leads us to our second point, is God and the rebuke of sacrifice thinking. God and the rebuke of our sacrifice thinking. Now, as I was working on this sermon, it was kind of going one way, but I saw this little clip, a little Facebook reel, and I thought, wow, that's interesting how this connects with this passage. I hate Facebook reels because they're such a distraction to me. That's why I don't keep Facebook on my phone. But this one was just timely. Um, and it kind of spoke to this passage. And, and the, the reel was, uh, you know, it's a, reel is a short video clip. And it was a pro-life activist on campus. And this uh, pro-life person was speaking to a pro-abortion student. And they were having a discussion. It was, it was, it was a good discussion. And obviously the, the pro-life uh, person was trying to convince the student about the evil of abortion, why you shouldn't do it. And, you know, as the argument developed, uh, the, the student, she, she said that people should be allowed to get abortions, women should be allowed to get abortions if the child is going to interfere with, with her future life and what she wants to do and what she, what she thinks she needs to do, like her education on the campus. And we can hear a lot of that these days. You know, if an unplanned pregnancy gets in the way of college ambitions or career goals or an easy life, I mean, the thought is that the woman should be allowed to abort. I've heard of celebrities celebrating their abortions and they say something to the effect of, I'm glad I got an abortion because if I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to become the actress I am today. So this, this, this male activist, he dresses the student 
um, and he asks her uh, if she believes in human sacrifice. And, and the student says, no, of course I don't. And the activist says to her, but when you talk about abortion, aren't you saying that we should be able to sacrifice this baby in the womb if a woman can get, so that a woman can get the life that she wants? Isn't that a kind of child sacrifice? And the student, you know, in her face and in her expression response, she said, I never thought of it like that. I never thought of it like that, that, that maybe people would be willing to sacrifice another human life for their own goals. But it brought up a connection for me as I looked at the passage. Again, asking the question, what are people willing to sacrifice the spirit of the age just so that we can have a successful life? It's not just about abortion. It was just the illustration brought me here. Because some will sacrifice their marriages. They commit adultery so they can have pleasure. Some will sacrifice their families so they can have more money or more power or success. Some will sacrifice their well-being for, the, for drinking or for gambling. Uh, some will sacrifice their own integrity so they can have more power. Some will sacrifice the peace in their home so that they can be proven right, so they can have their own way. I saw recently a wife ridicule her husband in front of a group of others so that she could get a laugh out of others. And sometimes secular people, non-Christians, they, they'll say that Christians are just so fixated on sacrifice. Why are we so fixated on that, they ask. But we'd say, well, everyone understands sacrifice. Even during Abraham's day, uh, human sacrifice was a well-known quantity. The nations around him practiced it. There's a belief that if they make the right sacrifice, a significant enough sacrifices, well, then their gods would love them. And here's the thing, amply demonstrated in this text, is that Abraham's God was different. He was not the one who demanded a sacrifice. He was the one who provided a sacrifice. And so for all the way the secular people say they don't believe in sacrifice, they make them all the time. They make them through their job, they make them their girlfriend, they make them the universe, to nature. Unbelieving nations will uh, sacrifice others for the good of the country. People think that if they make the right sacrifices, that the universe will somehow tilt in their direction and fulfill their dreams. And if that's you, if you don't believe in God, but you're tired of these sacrifices, all you've made for, to these things, you know, there's good news from God. He, he doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't need them. He calls you to trust in the sacrifice that he has made for you. Now, our passage also stands, I believe, as a reminder that God does not ask Christians of a sacrifice either. At least not this sacrifice. We as Christians can sometimes forget. We can start to believe that God only loves us when we make enough sacrifices for him. Like Abraham, we're ready to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to gain his love, but as we do, we just think it's so elusive. It's not the case. Look at what Jesus says about sacrifice in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 12 and 13. Jesus, but when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means, he says. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see what he, what he wants here? He, he, he doesn't want our great sacrifices. He wants us to know his great mercy. And so later in the week, I did a, a word search through the New Testament because I was curious how the New Testament used uh, the word sacrifice. 
And as I looked, I noticed that, that many times it used the word sacrifice, it used it negatively, like in Matthew chapter 9, as a rejection of the kind of sacrifices that people make in order to get God to love them. So that's one category, the way it uses them negatively. There's also the categories where it uses it neutrally, maybe as a teaching tool, um, to explain the sacrifice of Christ and, and the sacrifices of the Old Testament and, 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 and what God ha- has done in redeeming a people for himself. That was the second category, those kind of neutral ones. But the one type that I didn't found least common of all was the ones that said, that talked, this is again the New Testament, of the sacrifices that God wants his people to make. Those were really rare inside of the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament speaks about many sacrifices that God's people are called to make. But as far as I can see, there was just three kind of sacrifices that God calls believers in the church in the New Testament to make. There's something important to that. But none of those types of sacrifices he calls us to will call us to, cause us to love us more. First one is Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, again, this is the, con- this is the 12th chapter of Romans. So 11 chapters talking about God's grace. 11 chapters talking about what uh, God had done to save a people for himself of a sacrifice that God had made. 11 chapters of that. And he says, appeal to you, therefore, in light of all those things, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, in light of where it is and what he's saying, this is not a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, ourselves. That's what he says. You, your whole person is that. Not so you can gain God's love, but because you have received God's love. Not calling it to kill ourselves in service to God, but to use what he's given to us to worship him with, the things, with all the things we do. It's a whole life calling. We've already been redeemed from death, and so we live in light of that. He says in Romans 12, this is your spiritual worship. Well, that gets expanded for us a little bit in, the, in another verse which talks about sacrifice in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Through him then, let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. A sacrifice of praise. You know, God has loved you. God has redeemed you. He's made every sacrifice that's needed. And what's the only thing left to do? But to praise him, to sing how great thou art, to say thank you, Lord. Jesus, I am resting, resting, as our closing hymn. That's what he's left to do. A sacrifice of praise. Was one more kind of sacrifice God wants inside the New Testament, and He wants you to sacrifice for others. You see that in the very next verse, Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, God doesn't need our sacrifices. That's the message of the New Testament for sure. God does not need our sacrifices, but the people around us do. And so where the world uh, tells us to sacrifice others for our own sake, the Bible tells us to sacrifice our interests for the sake of others. 
And just as a quick pause here, um, just yesterday I finished reading David Melnick's book. And David Melnick wrote, um, Intertwined, Adopted Sacrifice, A Kidney Donor's Journey of Faith and Obedience. So as many of us know that David grew up in our church. Um, David uh, uh, ended up giving his, donating his kidney to his sister so his sister could live. And, you know, it was a delightful book to read and to read um, some of the, your names and to read about new life in Christ and how God used, how just God spoke to him and God, you know, spoke to him and really called him, uh, he believes, to, to uh, give his kidney to his sister. And, and we have the joy of worshiping together with Elisa to this day, you know, because of this wonderful provision. But I just thought it was a great example of this, right? Somebody who's in need. A sacrifice that needs to be made. And, and we, can, we can do that for, for others and to help them. And it was just, just a great, beautiful picture of that, even within the life of, of our congregation. Now, here's the thing, though, is that God will not love you more because you make the right sacrifices. But God's love for you is seen in the sacrifice he made for you. We see that with Abraham. His love was shown in the sacrifice that he provided for Abraham, but it's even more clear with you and I. And that leads us into our third point. As we talk about that sacrifice, our third point is this, God and the ultimate sacrifice of himself. Now, ultimately, this chapter points forward to an event that would happen 2,000 years later when God would lead his own son to a mountain and put him to death there. This chapter is a reminder and a picture about Jesus. God didn't ask Abraham to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. In fact, God did the exact thing that Abraham was called to do himself, but more. He followed through all the way. God's beloved son would give his own life on a cross for the salvation of his people. And there are so many similarities, right? The plan, the love that the father has for the son. Remember that persons they left, they said, this is the first time the Bible talks about love, and it was directed of a father to a son. And what a picture of the intimate love of God the Father and God the Son. You know, what does the New Testament say about the father and his love for his son? First of all, it says that it was his only son. We know that. If you look at Matthew 3, 17, Jesus is being baptized here, and a voice comes from heaven and speaks about Jesus. And what does it say, that voice? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right? He loves that son. And then you can look at uh, Jesus being God's only son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There are also similarities of the location of where um, the sacrifice of Isaac was to take place and where Christ was crucified. There's a similarity with carrying the wood, which I already mentioned. But the story shifts at verse 9, doesn't it? God provided a ram for Isaac, but Jesus took that sin on himself. No one took his place. In fact, he was taking Isaac's place and he was taking your place. He was taking my place. That's why he was there. He was the provision that God had mentioned. He was the only one who could do it. He, he took the sacrifice, um, or he, he took the beatings of his crucifiers. He wore the crown of thorns. He had the humiliation of being stripped naked. And the worst was taking the awful wrath of God upon sin as he hung on that cross. God was saving his people from their sins. He was redeeming a people for himself. 
God's desire to give uh, eternal life and to forgive sins was all being accomplished on that cross. A sacrifice was needed. And instead of making us to pay that price or finding someone else to do it, God did it himself. He sent his only begotten son to redeem us. That's what Romans 3.22 tells us. It says, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, as an atoning sacrifice. And that gift is received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. That little theology is important here because skeptics look at uh, God sacrificing his son and they say, look at that. That is cosmic child abuse. How could God do that? And if, how could God sacrifice his son? And if they're right, it would be terrible. But, but it's not right. And, and this is why. And it all hinges on the doctrine of the Trinity. Remember, the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that while there is one God, that that one God is eternally existing in three persons. There is a Father, there is a Son, there is a Holy Spirit. All three are together one God. And so as we talk about this, we know that God the Son is as much God as, much God, as God the Father is God. Who is Jesus then? Jesus is the Son of God. God himself. And it's really important Because God came down himself to take the penalty of sin. He came down to solve it himself. It's a reminder that God isn't looking for someone else to punish for sin. He's not looking for a whipping boy to take it out on. When Jesus came in the world to die on the cross, that was God's declaration that he would take the punishment on himself. If Abraham would have sacrificed his own son, it would have been murder. It would have been evil. But he didn't sacrifice his own son. God never demands a human sacrifice from his people. There there are moral limits to what's allowable sacrifice all through the Old Testament. But Abraham and Isaac were not God. Because of God's love for us, his desire to forgive our sins, God the Father and God the Son entered into what we call the covenant of redemption. They agreed together in eternity past that God the Son would be crucified to take away sins. That, that covenant of redemption is this eternal commitment, agreement within the Trinity of God. There's nothing similar in any other human relationship. And it was the only way that sin could be atoned for in an acceptable way. God was judge, and God was sacrifice. But we shouldn't take for a second that there was any less love between God the Father and God the Son. In fact, their love is a perfect love. Their love is a perfect love which stretched back all the way in eternity past. Their love was such that, that no other human love can compare to it, not even Abraham and his son Isaac. And so we can only imagine the anguish of God the Father offering up his son, his only son, as an offering for you. For me, what grace, what grace God has given us. He made the sacrifice. He doesn't ask the sacrifice from you. And some of you think that you need to make the right sacrifice before God will ever love you. Some of you might think that you need to make the right sacrifices before your life is going to work out right. 
And you need to silence that way of thinking. You need to see that God has provided everything you need to enjoy his love. It's found in Jesus Christ. God's word reminds us that we find his love apart from any sacrifice or any work that we may do. We find it when we look to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God does not need your sacrifice, and that's an important point to be taken away from here. But God made a sacrifice. God made the only sacrifice that would take away your sin. What love, what grace, what's left for us to do but to believe and to praise him for it. What does God want? God wants your heart. That's a living sacrifice. He wants your love. Genesis 22 shows us the delight that God had in Abraham's devotion. He wanted Abraham's heart and he wants yours too. He's already shown you how he loves you. And what response is there but to respond with our own love for him? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how many times have we wrongly thought that we get your acceptance through the sacrifices we make? How many times have we thought that we're better than others, Lord, because of the things we do? How many times have we thought that we can only be right if we do everything right? Lord, what anxiety that that creates within us. But you remind us again and again, God, that we can know you by grace as a gift. Father, that we come into that relationship with you through the work of Jesus alone, that we experience your love in him. God, we are so forgetful. Remind us of that. And help us to rest ourselves in Jesus. And help us to know that in him we have your acceptance, we have your love, and we have the rest that our souls need. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.